Thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In this episode, DC lobbyist-funded environmental activists denounce the influence of DC lobbyists on natural resources policy in Alaska. A left-wing outlet acknowledges the abuses of big progressive philanthropy's population control crusade of the mid to late 20th century, and we offer some highlights from a debate on the past and future of the $2 billion-plus world of right-of-center advocacy philanthropy. First item, the Alaska Center. An environmentalist advocacy group is adamant. Alaskans deserve a fair process, not one hijacked by D.C. lobbyists. In opposing Pebble Mine, a proposed copper and gold mine in southwest Alaska. The proposed mine has been stalled in environmental review for the better part of a decade, in part thanks to the work of D.C. lobbyists, like the League of Conservation Voters and 1630 Fund. Coincidentally, two of the three largest funders of the Alaska Center, according to its website. The third, Tides Advocacy Fund, is a San Francisco-based lobbying outfit associated with big left-wing donor-advised funder Tides Foundation. Helping out the Alaska Center is Salmon State, another environmentalist advocacy group. And it, too, is backed by D.C. liberal activists, the New Venture Fund, 1630 Fund's charitable stablemate. Both 1630 and New Venture, and therefore Salmon State, a New Venture Fund project, are part of the Arabella Advisors' empire of left-of-center dark money that reported combined revenues of $1.6 billion from the period from 2013 through 2017. Capital Research Center covered the Arabella network in a recent special report, Big Money and Dark Shadows, Arabella Advisors' Half-Billion-Dollar Dark Money Network. So, rather than the Alaska Center being an independent band of plucky provincials hashtag resisting the machinations of D.C. lobbyists, they, and at least some of their allies, are themselves backed by the opposite D.C. lobbyists. Welcome to the Sausage Factory. Until fairly recently, aggressive efforts to curb population growth were largely non-controversial, not only in the People's Republic of China, which instituted the notorious one-child policy it only modified a couple years ago, but also in American big philanthropy, which was and remains overwhelmingly progressive liberal, like the Rockefeller Foundation. Now, of all places, the Rockefeller Foundation-funded and very orthodox progressive Vox.com is admitting that at least some population control efforts in India constituted, quote, a terrible atrocity. Fox tied the origin of the Ford Foundation's and the Rockefeller Foundation's efforts to promote male sterilization in India to the population bomb, a tract by environmentalist Paul Ehrlich that prophesied that billions would die of famine in the second half of the 20th century, including 65 million Americans. Of course, this didn't happen, in large part due to the work of agricultural scientists like Norman Borlaug, who substantially increased the yields of staple crops ironically, with financial support from Rockefeller and Ford. Vox credits Douglas Esminger, a Ford Foundation official, with organizing large-scale sterilization programs in conjunction with the Indian Health Ministry. According to estimates, up to 14 million people were sterilized before the mid-1970s. Billboard advertisements showing happy sterilized families were among the methods used to entice men to have vasectomies. In 1975, then-Indian Prime Minister Indira Gandhi declared a state of national emergency, granting her the power to rule by decree and suspend civil liberties, 
she would jail thousands of her political opponents. The emergency, as it came to be known, lasted for nearly two years. And during the emergency, the Indian government, quote, embarked on a mass compulsory sterilization program. After Gandhi ended the emergency, free elections were held. The victorious opposition alliance had campaigned explicitly against the compulsory sterilization program that Indira Gandhi had carried out using infrastructure in many ways created by big American philanthropy. Meanwhile, the ties between big philanthropy and morally abhorrent birth-restricting ideology go far deeper than just the sterilization campaigns in India. As conservative scholar of philanthropy William Shambra noted in a 2011 piece, were it not for the niggling little fact that is now understood to be an utter moral abomination, eugenics would be touted today as one of American philanthropy's most significant and successful undertakings, close quote. The Population Council, a Rockefeller family-created organization founded after the Second World War, dedicated to ending overpopulation, was deeply linked to the American Eugenics Society and funded it in its early years. And while big philanthropy and the Population Council have quietly dissociated themselves from their eugenic origins and their former eugenic agendas, at least as of a few years ago, they had not made a full accounting of their roles in moral horrors, like the compulsory sterilizations of India's emergency. And as liberals perhaps start coming to terms with the dark side of their philanthropic history, conservatives are debating how effective their philanthropic efforts have been especially in the period bracketed by the defeat of Barry Goldwater in the 1964 presidential election and the 2016 presidential election. Capital Research Center's Mike Hartman and his former Bradley Foundation colleague Dan Schmidt started the debate, noting that post-Goldwater, conservative philanthropists, most prominently the Scaife, Bradley, Olin, and Smith-Richardson foundations, spent years and decades building ideas-driven institutions and underwriting efforts, quote, aimed at recovering the political philosophy of the American founding, as expressed most authoritatively in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. The recovery of traditional small-r Republican and classical liberal, the two ideologies while not identical, both underlie the American constitutional order, interpretations of that political order, perhaps best demonstrated in judicial policy and originalism, is a credit to ideas-based advocacy. Chamber, in his response, recalled the work of the Bradley Foundation in supporting school choice and its efforts allowing, quote, parents to choose the schools best suited for their children with public support and taking, quote, authority away from those experts and to acknowledge the capacity of everyday citizens, even in the most distressed circumstances, to govern themselves according to their own moral and spiritual lights, close quote. Contrasting that model with the contemporary move towards social scientific policy debate on an election cycle schedule. I'd concur with Shambra that the election cycle schedule and social scientific method, while necessary, blinded conservative philanthropists and policy people alike to the upheavals in society that, while publicly manifested most prominently in the nomination of Donald Trump by the Republican Party, preceded and operated independently of him. After all, the runner-up for the Republican nomination in 2012 was an arch-traditionalist Catholic from the Rust Belt with a strong pro-labor union and pro-protectionism streak. Former Bush administration drug czar John Walters responded, noting the shift towards libertarian ideology and a business-style model of metrics and so-called effective philanthropy within nonprofits. And he likewise warned of the consequences of the universities falling fully into the camp of the left. 
course, the law of metrics is you get what you measure. Freedom from a metrics-based analysis creates intellectual space to explore and develop new and specific ideas, even if they are not ripe for public audience or for a fundraising appeal. In his response, Arthur Roop Foundation Mark Henry credited President Donald Trump with, quote, a new birth of intellectual freedom on the right, close quote. While new policy approaches and the opportunity for potentially advantageous compromises should, of course, be explored, the danger of such freedom is the possible abandonment of the very principles conservatives have long set out to conserve, the American constitutional order and some form of market capitalism. Some conservatives exploiting that intellectual hole created by the president's election seem to propose doing exactly that, and in so doing, they risk dismantling a coalition with a long tradition of existence to its members in the country at large that has surely done at least some good in its time. Indeed, part of the problem for conservative philanthropy and conservative policy is that much of its organizing glue issues have been won, some of them for all time. Since 1989, my lifetime, the Soviet Union has entered into history, violent crime has halved, the abortion rate has fallen to its pre-Roe v. Wade levels. Gun rights have been recognized throughout the country, and taxation has fallen to a level make that taxes themselves are a low salience political issue. That's our show for this week. If you're listening to this on YouTube, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher, and if you have subscribed, thank you, and please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.